Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Unstoppable with me, your host. My name is Kerwin Ray and today we're going on a very incredible journey. This one is not for the faint-hearted. It was quite emotional for me, I've got to be honest with you as a parent myself. This week we're talking with Elle Halliwell and in this episode Elle takes us through her very personal journey of how she actually found out she was pregnant but get this, two days after she was diagnosed with cancer. This is going to be a journey for any parent or anyone who loves life to find out more about the importance of what it takes to live a life in its fullest and most importantly, how to become more kind to oneself. Please get the Kleenex ready. This one's going to take you to places that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but the inspiration that will come from it could be life-changing. Get ready. Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the studio Elle Halliwell. Elle, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Now, Elle, you're a very well-known Australian journalist with an incredible career, uh, also an incredible network, but last year you faced one of the biggest challenges yet uh, when you were diagnosed with an incurable cancer called chronic myeloid leukemia, and then 48 hours later you received the news that you were going to be a mum. Like when I first read about this, like my heart, like you know, it, 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 I felt this. So take me through your story. How did we get to here? Well, I um, I turned thirty a few months before, and um, me and my husband had kind of been thinking about starting a family later in the year, and so I went to the doctor to get some blood tests. I'd actually had a, a bit of gastro, and I thought it was a good, good excuse to go and get tested for my vitamin D levels and my folate and things like that um, and got the test a couple of days later he got back to me and he said look Elle your platelets are a bit high it's probably just because of you were a bit ill but we'll get them checked again and he was a good friend of mine so and we were out to dinner um, a couple of weeks later after I'd done the second test and he pulled me aside and he says Elle look the platelets are a little bit higher and at this stage I had no idea what was going on I was you know, so busy with work. I, I'm a fashion writer at The Telegraph, so I was busy doing that. I was um, working on a nutrition course. I was doing painting on the side. I had my Nova radio show. So, you know, I was like, oh, platelets, schmatelets. Um, and he said, look, it's probably nothing, but let's get you checked by a hematologist and make sure that there's nothing sinister. And I said, whatever. Went and got that done. And then um, the, the hematologist looked me over and he said, look, you, you look fine but come back in about three weeks and we'll, we'll um, give you the results. And then the next day I got a phone call saying, um, we've got a spot that's opened up on Monday morning, which was a, a four days from then. Um, we're going to need you to come in and bring your husband. And at that point that I knew that there was something really, really wrong going on and um, I lost it. I was at work and I just broke down in tears. I had to get escorted home and um, we managed to find out what it what was wrong that afternoon we got our GP to, to call up the haematologist and he came over and he sat us down and he said oh, I, I don't really know what to say um, but it's not good you've got leukemia and you know that was just it blindsided me because mm. I felt okay mm. I felt fine and um, I just thought this can't be happening to me. Was it surreal in the moment? When the so surreal was- you know when in the movies um, something really bad kind of happens to the hero and everything just goes silent in the yeah. movie theatre and that there's this black blackness that kind of creeps through the edges into this almost tunnel vision. That's how I felt like I was falling into a big deep tunnel. Wow. And I, I couldn't process any other word that he said after that except you've got leukaemia. And um, that 
you know, the next two days, I guess, were just spent telling loved ones and stuff and trying to find out more about this illness. Um, and then I... Um, Do you mind if I just yeah, ask sure. a few questions on that? You know, obviously, everyone deals with bad news in different ways. And, you know, bad news is relative to the news that you're receiving at the time. Mm. But I, I'm curious to know from you, like, over those next two days, how did you start to... Because regu- I can only imagine for most people that would be incredibly devastating. You know, it would mm-hmm. really take more than the wind out of your sails. But h- how do you process that in a way to produce healthy behaviours so that you can keep going in situations where, I don't know, maybe you don't want to? There was th- there was very little healthy behaviour at that time. <laughs> that right? I'm going to admit it. Look, being a journalist, the yeah. first thing that I want to do when, when I find out something is I want to learn more about it. Yeah, right. But the word leukemia scared me so much that I couldn't bring myself to look to look into it anymore. So really? it was actually my husband who decided that he needed to know as much as he could about this illness that we were facing. So I'm lying on the couch, like just I guess in a state of shock, and he's on the computer and you know trying to find out more about it. And one thing that we did find out at the time, which I guess made me feel a little bit more hopeful, was the fact that. Um, in the last decade, they had discovered um, a new medication which um, had turned what was initially a guaranteed death sentence. Most people who were diagnosed in the late 90s didn't live past five years. Um, but these new drugs that they discovered were giving people a lot better chance of survival. So that was something that was like that little ping prick of a, a light at the end of that oh, tunnel. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, it was really hard to kind of process. And I guess I had to go through that emotion um, of kind of, I don't know, facing it every time I had to tell someone that I yeah, loved right. that I had leukemia and seeing their faces was so hard. And I think for me, I tried I tried to just block it out in my mind because I knew that if I saw them upset, then I'd just crash down again. Yeah, so right. I had to kind of figure out some way of pulling myself together and putting on a brave face for them because it would make me feel better seeing them not devastated. And how did you do that? Was it a little psychological ritual or like a little... I think I just thought to myself, I felt so lucky in the moment that it was me who had been diagnosed and not someone that I loved. Yeah, right. Because the idea of not having control over something... um, was more devastating, I think, than it being me and being able to control how I approached it and how I dealt with it That's emotionally. So you were contrasting your experience with the the projection of ex- that experience with someone else, pretty much to, numb the, to you know essentially regulate. I basically kept thinking, "Thank God it's not mum," or "Thank God it's not my husband." Yeah, because it's me. I can control it, and I I'm going to deal with it the best way that I can, and that is going to be with positivity. And making sure that the people around me are okay with it. It's interesting what mortality brings up for others, and it often brings up you know others' insecurities, which is kind of interesting because you know you're sharing with people that you know the situation you're in, but oftentimes they respond worse than than than, than you do in those moments. Yes, which you know which is an emotional challenge in itself. Look, I can only imagine at this point you've got so much going on. You know, you're two days in, you know, to and. In, you know, a revelation that most people would never dream of of hearing and all of a sudden you, you find you get some more news I know and, and how did you even like how did that even come how did, what, how, what did you even look like what made you think maybe I should see if I'm pregnant it was really strange because I'd taken a pregnancy test about three weeks before because I just thought that maybe I was and it came back negative 
And so I forgot about it. But funnily enough, I'd bought a two-pack. <laughs> and when I found out about this, in my mind, I thought, it can't get any worse. But just in case, I'm just going to take this pregnancy test to rule out anything, even though I was pretty sure I wasn't. And then when I saw that positive response, I I didn't know what to do. Like we hadn't even at that stage gone to the haematologist to officially be diagnosed. Right. I still had the bone marrow biopsy to take and I still had, you know, a lot of further testing to be done. And um, that that really killed me inside because my first thought as soon as I saw that positive test was there's no way that we can both survive this. Mm. It's either I live or my baby doesn't or we both don't live. Yeah, right. There was very little thought in my mind that we could both get through it. At what point did the um, did the baby become less of a fear and more of a cause? Um, I think once we went and got a second opinion, right. my, uh, my haematologist basically said the best route, the safest route yeah. for me, who because I was his patient, yeah. was to, to terminate the pregnancy. And in my mind, I thought, yes, that's the sanest thing right. to do. So you were like, yep, I'm on board with that. Makes sense. But then that was my brain talking. Yeah. But then my gut and my heart were saying, hang on, just see what else you can do. Just exhaust all different avenues and make sure because something just didn't feel right in my gut. Yeah. And um, Are you someone that's quite intuitive normally? No. Really? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I, I mean, in the past, I think I have become more so as I've gotten older. Yeah. Um, but in the past, I was so eager, I guess, to please that I'd override those yeah, feelings, right. mm. you know, to make sure that everyone else around me was happy and I, that they saw me doing a good job and didn't like to really step on people's toes. But this was, I guess, the first time that I kind of said, hang on, this is about me now. This is about me and my baby and you can say whatever you want to say, but until I'm 100% sure in my decision, then I'm going to keep pursuing it. So we went and got a second opinion. Me and my husband flew down to Adelaide um, and we spoke to a guy named Professor um, Tim Hughes and he gave us a little bit more information of what we were dealing with um, and he kind of gave us a little bit more assurance that while it was a really risky thing to do... Um, it wasn't completely reckless and at least doing a bit mm. of a wait and see and just take it, you know, week by week was a possibility. And so that's kind of when I thought, okay, let's just let's just take it day by day, not think too far in the future, which was hard for me because I was no. always looking to the future and planning and planning. And so I guess it really made me stop and go, okay, you need to live in the moment now because not only... <laughs> Is there, you know, so many question marks over the next few months? But you've just been diagnosed with leukemia. I think it's time to stop and smell the roses a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. And so that's kind of what I did. And it was a really life-changing moment for me deciding to do that and to really just go follow your gut and be present. Mm. And was this follow your gut and be present, was this a philosophy that you lived by before this? No. I didn't... Not even a little bit. Oh, no, live in the moment, I, I did. Yeah. I've always been of that mentality that 
you got to stop and pat the cats. And I know that's I a like bit that. of a strange one. That People say good. smell the roses, stop but and pat the cats. I've always been an animal lover. Yeah. And I'd go for walks with my husband and I'd see a cat and my husband would be like, quick, quick, we've got to get here. And I'm like, no, we don't. I'm going to stop and I'm going to pat this cat because <laughs> I really enjoy that. Yeah, right. And I guess I have taught him over the years, we've been together for 12 years, to be a little bit more present and enjoy enjoy the life you're living now because both of us are very goal-oriented we're very driven um but sometimes um i think both of us would get so caught up in planning for the future that you would just forget to kind of go hang on in 10 years we're going to be looking back and going we're in our you know late 20s we're having the best time of our life so what we weren't super rich or you know haven't achieved all of our goals but we were so happy, like we had a, a lovely family and we were young and probably skinnier. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I have, um, as I've gotten older, become a little bit more in, in the moment. But I guess that, you know, when you go through something like this, you really stop and go, okay, that was something that I would do sometimes, but now I have to do this because, it's the, you know, this might be the only chance I've got. Yeah, right. And so was this a strong – and I guess when I hear that, I hear being a mother. Like this might be the only chance I've got to do it, so I'm going to give it my all. But my sense is that there's a this situation um, birthed a greater cause than just being a mother. Like I, I get the sense there's this child that's now in your life. Like it's got to make your desire to fight so much stronger. Oh, absolutely. The moment that I, I – I found out that I was pregnant mm. just gave me so much more drive Is that to right? push through. So you felt like a, a physiological shift when you found out you're pregnant? Yeah, I, I became a mother right. at that moment. And I stopped and realized that I, I had to stop being selfless. And, you know, for, for my entire 20s, you know, you are like you, you're selfless, bec- um, you're selfish because you know, you just about like how, where am I? Gonna, how am I going to achieve this? What am I going to do? Yeah. It's all about me, 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 me. And yeah, the moment that you become a mother, it's not about you anymore. It's it's about your family, and that maternal instinct really kicked in pretty quickly. So when you found out you had leukemia, was your was your first understanding was well, this is well, surely there's got to be a cure, or did you immediately internally just think, oh, well, hang on, this is this is it? I thought this was it because, um, you know, I that first instant that I, I heard the word leukemia, I thought of a child with no hair lying in a hospital yeah. bed, just you know, moments away from from the end. Um, and I think that's the thing now about cancer is there's so many amazing medical developments mm. that it doesn't necessarily mean it's a death sentence. Um, but that took me a little while to come to terms with because blood cancer seemed like such a devastating, fatal disease. Yeah. Um, so I still, I'm still coming to terms with the fact that I have cancer. Um, every day I wake up and I, I'm kind of like, hang on, was that me? Did that, is that, do I really? Is that who I you know, so identify with now? It really is, especially because the type that I have, um, I didn't need to go through intensive chemotherapy. I'm on an um, oral chemo drug. And fortunately, because it targets the, the proteins that, um, you know, that I guess the cancer cells rather than um, other chemo, which kind of is more of a scattergun and it kills the healthy cells as well as the bad yeah, right. cells, 
it knocks you around a lot a lot more so the symptoms the hair loss and things like that I, I never got that um, and I think that was another whole thing that I had to deal with was um, being sick but not looking sick and how people re- would react to that because a lot of people hmm. couldn't really I guess understand it was a bit of a, a strange thing for them because they're like hang on but you've you've still got your hair so how can you be sick yeah and there are some days when I was feeling like crap and people wouldn't really understand that because I looked okay. You looked healthy. Yeah, and that was that was a bit difficult to kind of get my head around for yeah, a while. Right. That would screw with you a bit. Mm. Um, I'm going to assume dealing with problems now is very different to dealing with problems before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I, I and I, I said this to you in the in the pre-interview. Like, I think the gift of the the gift of the awareness of mortality can be a really beautiful thing because it helps really put things in perspective. Have you found that the way that you uh, interpret life and you interpret situations and the way that you perceive challenges now, has that shifted since you had the diagnosis and yeah. you're pregnant? so many different things about my life have, has changed in that respect. I've, um, I think I've embraced living a bit more simply. Yeah. Um, I've kind of stopped consuming things as much as I would have before. I mean, being a fashion writer, you're just constantly bombarded with the latest trends. And I was like, oh, I have to have this, I have to have that. You know, if I get that dress, my life is complete. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now I, I'll be, you know, browsing um, online stores for my column and I'll, it'll just, I have this new mantra, stuff that I don't need, stuff mm. I don't need. And it just automatically comes into my head now because I don't need it. It doesn't, it doesn't fulfill my life. If I bring something in, I, you know, it might cost $10, but how much is that really going to cost me in terms of time, putting it away, repairing it, doing all of these other things when I could be spending that time with my son or with mm. my family or visiting, you know, people I love. So um, I'm really making a concerted effort to simplifying my life um, when it comes to that. Um, I'm also learning to say no a lot more. Um, before that was quite hard. <laughs> I've always been a bit of a people pleaser. Yeah. But now I've realised that I can't overstretch myself because ultimately that will be bad for my health and ultimately that will be bad for my family. Yeah, right. Um, so, so you put a higher value on yourself. Slow, yeah, trying to take things slower, nourishing my body, um, nourishing my social life, my family life. Um, yeah, and just, just really kind of taking care of myself. Is there been a difference in the way that you invest your time? And do you now have a different relationship with time? Yes. It's funny because time moves so differently now mm. in my mind. You know, when I'm spending time with my son, you know, it can feel like minutes has passed. And you know, we've been playing in the corner for an hour, mm. things like that. Um, being back at work, sometimes it can feel like I've done a 40-hour day in one day because it's time that I've spent away from him as well. So time kind of stretches and, and contracts, I think, depending on, you know, where you're at. And so it has been a very different experience for me since I was diagnosed. And also, yeah, I'm trying to live in the moment more it does make things seem to go more slowly, but in a beautiful way. And have you learned any little... I don't know, perspective hacks or psychological hacks, maybe 
that you now use that would benefit other people in perhaps different situations but where there's still challenge because we all deal with challenges it's, it's just relative right and I don't think you could deal with a bigger challenge than being given you know a, a terminal diagnosis and then 48 hours later you know you're being told you're pregnant as well yeah. um, but that to me it, it builds grit it builds resilience but it also builds you know certain skills in conscious mm-hmm. people as to how to deal with you know stressful situations and get through it and you mentioned you know that there was a first period of time there where you were a little bit useless yeah but then over time you know you pulled it together and you know you become an example for many people not just in our country but all over the world but i'm curious to know from you like what are some of the things that you've learned that you now go well i can actually use this as a tool in fact it's such a simple tool i could probably teach it to someone else as well absolutely um i've i've become a lot kinder to myself mm. um when when i was young i was about 18 i think i was living with my best friend in bondi and she gave me some very wise words she you know, I was telling her how um, stressed I was and she said, oh, yeah, that voice in my head, I gave her a name. And <laughs> ever since then, I've called that awful inner voice Jane. And um, this Jane in my head um, for years kept going on about, you know, you're not skinny enough, you're not successful enough, you're not this, you're not that, you're not that. Or, you know, you're lazy, you're going to get fired because, you know, you didn't... Um, finish that project in time and the bosses are going to finally realize that you just crap at your job and um when I was diagnosed like a few months after it took me a while but I realized that Jane was still in my head and she was saying things like you know it's your fault that you got cancer because when you were young you know you'd have a few too many drinks and things like that it was probably that terrible diet that you had as a kid and I was like Jane can go jump off a cliff. (laughs) And I think kind of just saying that to myself, just getting rid of the Jane and learning to love myself a bit more and talking to myself, giving my inner voice someone something that how I would respond to someone that I loved. Mm. You know, if they were going through something that I was going through at that time, rather than beat myself up, which is what I probably would have done, be nice to myself and say hang on you know it's 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 not a bad life it's just a bad day pick yourself up you're actually not you know you're stronger than this you're better than this you're a great person you know what I mean and I just learned to love myself more and to to get rid of that mean girl voice and replace her with someone who was a lot nicer and that made such a difference and funnily enough I've suffered from anxiety for so long um, since I was in my teens. And after I got diagnosed, the anxiety disappeared. No shit. Which is really strange. I used to get really bad um, breathing issues with my anxiety. And it it took me a while to realise that I hadn't had that for such a long time. And it actually was after I got diagnosed. And I realise now that it was because I only had one goal after that and all of those other little things that used to take up all of my mind and my time they just melted away and they they weren't important anymore and having just this one goal which at the time was obviously to just keep myself healthy enough to carry this baby just gave me this lightness that I'd never felt before and you'd think that going through something as traumatic as a cancer diagnosis and a pregnancy would do the complete opposite but it actually put everything into perspective and made me focus on the only thing that was important at the time. And it was just so freeing. Hmm. It's interesting. that I don't know if you've read the, the, the Tibetan book of living and dying. 
Um, no, and I it, haven't, it, but it's on it, my list now. Well, it essentially points to the philosophy that in order to truly live, we must first die. <clears throat> and it doesn't mean, you know, we have to go and die, but it means we must embrace the concept of death. Because most people tiptoe through their life, you know, safely. No, most people are tiptoeing through their life just hoping to make it to death safely. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we never survive it, though, do we? we? All, here's, the, here's the punchline, guys. We all fucking die. <laughs> We're all heading for the same fucking outcome as everyone else. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, we, we all, although we're heading for, this, for the same outcome, we all, we all die. Everyone has a different relationship with what that death means. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in a situation like yours, I can really understand how that transpired. Like you, you finally surrendered to death and then all the anxiety is gone because there's nothing to fear anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. I thought there's nothing more I can do. Yeah. Just got to do the best that I can. And, you know, that's right. When you're on your deathbed, thinking about a report that was due like none of it matters it doesn't it really doesn't yeah so i think the little the little things in life as well that i think used to annoy me and i'd find really a bit of a drudgery yeah i now enjoy and i've made them into little rituals like doing the dishwasher i kind of when i do the dishwasher i i really zone out and i go okay this is my dishwasher time wow and i just kind of go through the motions and i'm like it's a nice time to just relax and put things in their rightful place. And it's really strange, but just embracing them, I guess, the mundane aspects of life. The is moments in the mundane. Good, yeah. Because I, and fuck, I can so relate to what you're talking about right now because I'm, I'm going through some stuff. I'm going through a separation right now. Oh, and so one sorry. of the things that I've observed is, yeah, I'm starting to become, this is going to sound really bad, but I really, um, I abdicated myself from domestic responsibilities for a, for a long time in the house. You know, and I justified it by saying, well, you know, I'm a busy guy, I'm running mm-hmm. businesses and everything else, and now I'm a single dad. You know, I'm, I'm looking after my son when I'm here, you know, most, day, most weeks, three, four, five days a week. And so now I find, you know, not only am I you know, running businesses, I'm also, you know, <laughs> making lunches and take, doing school drop-offs and everything else. But what's incredible, shit, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, the, oh. Well, the beauty in the mundane. Oh, the beauty in the mundane. The, what I'm finding now, which is incredible is now I'm doing the washing, I'm clothes washing, I'm doing the dishes, I'm doing the sweep, I'm doing everything now. You know, and I could get a cleaner to come in and do it all for me, but what I'm finding really interesting is as I'm doing it now, I'm using it in twofold. Number one, I'm giving it a, using it as an opportunity for, for Noah to have independent play because mm-hmm. you go, oh, daddy's busy, I have to keep myself busy. Oh, I like that. I'm going to use And that. Um, the second thing I've found is it actually gives me the opportunity, this is going to sound really weird, but you were like, to relax. Because yeah. now when I do the dishes, once upon a time when I do the dishes, when I wasn't doing the dishes, it'd be as fast as I could to get to the other side so I could get to where I was trying to go. Whereas now I'm washing the dishes. It's like, okay, Noah's playing. I'm washing the dishes. I can yeah. actually relax while I'm washing the dishes. I can relax while I'm you know, cleaning up. I can relax while I'm cooking dinner. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's really an interesting perspective. And I, I think as well that little tasks like that take up most of our lives, oh. so much of our lives, that why not make it into a pleasurable ritual yeah. rather than trying to rush through or huff and puff that, you know, it wasn't your turn to do the dishes. <laughs> yeah, it's, every day is my turn to do the dishes now. So it's all good. <laughs> I'm embracing it. I really am. Um... um so your your leukemia it's a it's a it's it's a rare form of leukemia from my yep. understanding it's it's um and, and leukemia is a is a blood a form of blood cancer that's from correct. My understanding. do we do you know how it came about is it something that can be you know environmental lifestyle diet mm. do do you know how it came that that's probably one of the harder things that I had to deal with because CML normally affects men in their sixties wow 
which is really... Not exactly your profile. No, it's very far <laughs> from it. And um, the only major risk factors that they've identified is excess benzene exposure. Um, and I've never worked at a petrol station, just for the record. Um, and and I think chemotherapy, so prior chemotherapy. So if you've had cancer before, you can possibly get, it, get, um, get CML from that. Um, so I really felt at first really bloody unlucky thought why me you know mm. of all of those risk factors I don't fit into any of them I don't smoke I drink you know very moderately glass of red wine here and there <laughs> exactly you have um, to. and you know I've always re- remained fairly fit and had a pretty good diet so you know I guess when I was first diagnosed I was a little bit bitter about it because I thought that's unfair because I don't fit any of those profiles I'm pretty good pretty good citizen you know I live a fairly healthy lifestyle um but I've kind of that that didn't really last long because I also thought wow I'm lucky as well that I was born at this point in history yeah no kidding that now they have a drug that is likely and now at this point um pretty I'm pretty sure will save my life Wow. So I, I, I guess we, we can go there. Like, where are you at with your with your treatment so far? Yeah. So fortunately, um, during the pregnancy, my levels didn't rise too much. Um, they were pretty sure they caught it fairly early on. Um, and so it was, you know, every couple of weeks or maybe even every week at one point, I'd go in, get my blood test just to make sure that things were tracking okay. Um, and I was on another drug called interferon, which was a um, inject that I injected every week. Um, which was to try and suppress the cancer long enough for me to have the baby and then go on these these new life-saving drugs. Unfortunately, my, my cancer didn't accelerate quickly um, during the pregnancy. Um, I did have to have him out a month early because um, they did spike a little bit at the end, um, but it wasn't enough to be you know extremely concerning. So I, I gave birth a month early. Um, and then I was put on these new drugs. And fortunately, after a little bit of uh, trial and error, my body wasn't responding that well at the beginning. Um, I'm now on my way to um, complete rem- molecular remission. Oh, my so God. That's great. So I'm going to have to be on these pills possibly indefinitely. Yeah. But hopefully for the next five years. And then I'll. there, there are trials of people who are going off the drugs. And they're finding that some people, about 40% of people, are able to go off the drugs and never have the cancer return. So wow. that's kind of the next step with yep. with this treatment um, because it's so new. So, you know, all things going well, I'll be able to, to trial going off the treatment and who knows, might even be able to have another baby. Oh, my God. Although I'm so lucky and blessed oh with my one, God. so we'll see. You'll have to get another Marvel's character in there. <laughs> Maybe we'll call the next one Iron yeah. Man. Oh, okay. Or Wonder Woman. <laughs> Wonder Woman. <laughs> Okay, that's that, that's pretty amazing. Um, so, I, I guess the question that a lot of people might be asking, and I've, we've kind of gone in there in a roundabout way, but what was it that made you conscious to decide I'm I'm, I'm keeping this baby and and I'm and I'm having this baby. I'm going to be a mother. I, I don't. When know. you considered the prospect that you could possibly, you know, both of you could end up dying, or you could give birth to the baby, and then you know you you may not be around to to be here yeah that that was hard and I did um face a little bit of I guess criticism um from a couple of people not many Mm. um but in in the public arena after I shared my story saying you know how kind of reckless to to possibly have your child live without a mother 
Um, but I, I, going back, it was just my gut feeling and my husband as well. He had that same kind of gut feeling. And I think having him by my side and being able to to know that he was behind me mm. with that decision really helped. Um, and also, I guess in my mind when I decided, it wasn't a definitive, there is no absolute way that I'm going to choose the other option. It was... I kind of would check in with myself and go, how am I feeling in the moment? How is my baby feeling in the moment? Are we okay? Is this week going well? Great. Well, let's see how next week goes. So just t- living in the moment and really just keeping aware of my own body and how I was feeling, I think really got me to the end because I didn't kind of go, all right, so this is what's going to happen in September or yeah. November or you know December. It's like Where am I'm I not today? thinking about that yeah. because that's too far away and who knows how long I've got, who knows how long this baby's got. To be honest, I didn't think the baby was going to survive. I thought, how can it live in a sick body? Wow. You know, that's battling cancer. Yeah. Like it's got so many other things to think about. How's it kind of concentrating on nourishing new life? Um, and so I kind of thought as well that if he, – you know, this baby is surviving in there. I've got to give it, you know, a chance because clearly there's some kind of universal spirit or something just making sure that he's still thriving in there. And I kind of just wanted to let let the universe take over a bit, you know? Mm. It was, yeah, it was a bit of a surreal experience. That's beautiful. I'm hearing a lot of mindfulness in what you say. Look, a lot of people, when they go through tough times, everyone responds differently. You know, some people isolate and they just, you know, go, I'm just going to do this by myself. And others, you know, really understand who we are, you know, at our core. You know, we're very social beings. And, you know, for a lot of us, support is an incredibly important part of, you know, getting through challenge. I'm curious to know from you, like, what's what, what's been your journey when it comes to support? Are you someone that naturally... Uh, is open to and accepting of support or are you someone that's had to learn how to perhaps embrace support because you were you know maybe trying to do a little bit on your own yeah definitely someone who has to learn to embrace support I've always been a bit of a uh, I, I don't know I'm a bit of an introvert a bit of a loner I'll enjoy my own company and yeah I do like to to do things on my own I've always been pretty independent so um, when I did first share my story getting the outpour, uh, um the outpouring of support from people I I didn't know Mm. or people in my past who I hadn't spoken to for decades was um, a little bit unnerving, like I felt really exposed. And I didn't know how to kind of cope and embrace all of that. It made me want to kind of retreat into myself because I I was so humbled, I guess is the only really way to describe it, um, that so many people cared about me who I'd never met before. And that was quite a weird feeling and it kind of was that moment when I really felt, and I know I'm getting really spiritual here, but I really felt part of the universe. Like I felt like this universal love, Mm. which I'd never felt before. And it was really confronting. I didn't know how how to respond or react to it or cope with it. And I was really, to be honest, I was more upset and more overcome with emotion at that point when I received all of that outpouring of support than when I was initially diagnosed. Yeah, right. It was a whole new feeling that I've never had and it made me, it renewed my faith in humanity and it was the first time I really thought about my son and thought, 
I want you to be in this world. Wow. Because being in the media, you're exposed you to so worst. many awful yeah. things. Yeah, that's right. People's worst, um, you know, deeds and everything like that. So, yeah, to have that that beautiful holistic love was just, yeah, it was like some weird spiritual, I don't know, nirvana or something weird. I know that sounds a Not bit odd, all. but, no, um, no, yeah, no. it was quite quite amazing. What's your relationship with vulnerability and has it changed? I'm very vulnerable now. Yeah. I've I've always been a bit sensitive. Mm. Um but now it's a whole new level. <laughs> um especially with my son like I yeah, I'm struggling with that to be honest at the moment because I do have so much emotion throwing flowing through me and um being at the at the paper for so long or being in the media you really have to develop a very tough skin mm. to you know to i guess survive you know, in that industry yeah because yeah. it is it's a real dog eat dog industry um and i did feel like i was losing myself the longer that i you know the longer that i was working um and to the point where i almost didn't recognize myself at one point i was overworked overstressed you know the worst parts of me were coming out more than the best parts of me and I didn't like who I was becoming. And then this really made me stop and think, hang on, who was I before I let all, like before I got caught up in all of that and it's returned me to that person that I was, I think, as a as a young girl and a child and who's very, um, very emotional, very kind of, I guess, more sweet and fragile, mm. I guess. And so I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but um, it's something that I am trying to embrace. Do you feel richer for it or poorer for it? I do feel richer for it, yeah. but it's still, it's like I'm trying to get to know myself again. That's beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's strange. And I, it's those qualities that I like about myself that I want to instill in my son. So, yeah. um, you know, and they're like little sponges so everything you do and say yeah. you know that subconsciously they're just sucking it up so yeah I'm, I'm really trying to I guess you know live honestly for him do you now live very consciously as an example for for Tor I do yes I really want him to know how important it is to make a light footprint on the earth you know to be kind to animals and to you know, to not consume too much and to to do things that really enrich your soul rather than just make your money. I love that. So I can only assume, and we've already discussed a lot of what you're learning about yourself as you've gone through this process, but if there's one thing that you've learned about yourself through going through this process that we haven't discussed so far, what would that be? That I'm so much stronger than I thought I was. Wow. <laughs> if If you'd asked me, you know, a month before everything happened how I would cope with a theoretical situation like that I would have said there is no way that I would have been able to cope with that and I probably would have tried to knock myself off rather than have to deal with something that full-on but then when you're in the moment you just like you've got no choice you just have to man up and just do it and yeah, I really like. It's I like look three a.m. when you've got a three-month-old, and they need their nappy <laughs> changed. You're like, it doesn't matter how fucking tired you are, you got to do it. Exactly, you got no choice. It's so true. But wouldn't you agree that it's sometimes in those moments that we find the most about ourselves? Oh, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I feel like I finally know myself, and I, I, yeah, and I think it's almost like I've come 
like done a full 360 where I knew myself as a child then I became someone who I wasn't wow and now I'm back trying to live that kind of I guess authentic innocent happy life whether or not it'll it'll stay that way I'm really trying to be conscious of of that and just trying to be yeah just kind of follow follow my gut about who I who I am it sounds like you're doing a great job Thank you. What is the one thing that you want Tor to take away from this experience? As he reflects as a, you know, whether it be a 15-year-old boy or on his 18th birthday. Okay, here's a great one. On his 18th (laughs) birthday, okay, as he's reflecting back on, you know, his life with his mum and his dad and how he came into this world and the beautiful scenario that encompasses it, what's the one thing you'd love for him to take away from this journey? See, now now you're getting me. Now I'm getting a bit emotional. Um I think that, you know, just to know that that love is just limitless and just to know how how loved he was and how loved he is and how how loving he can be as well. Sorry. No, that's all right. You're you're fucking hitting me. So good thing this is a podcast that is being videoed. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, life is precious, hey? Yeah. What kind of a father would you like Tor to be? Oh, wow. That's I'd like him to be like his father. Um, you know, he's such a great guy. Like he would do anything for his son. Um and he's got all of the qualities obviously that, you know, I fell in love with. He's um he's kind, he's he's so much fun. He's got this incredible charisma. <laughs> And um, yeah, and I just if if he's you know half the dad that his dad is, then he'll be a great man. So, um, and I think that yeah, we'll be able to to raise him with the with the right values and yeah, and teach him some good life lessons. Now, my um, my intuition is you're going to be around for a lot longer to come. You're going to be, <laughs> um, but I, I do want to just speak hypothetically because. <sighs> I'm sorry. No. <laughs> this a, is hitting us both. It's hitting us both in the in, in the right. Uh, maybe I'll come back to that question. <laughs> uh, no, I'll go there. I'll make it happen. Come on. Um. Uh, I shared with you earlier uh, that I've had seventy death experiences, so I ask myself this Jesus I ask myself every day twice a day as I shared with you earlier um, you know I've had 70 different experiences so I have a very very strong appreciation for the fragility of life Um, and I do ask myself on a regular basis or twice a day in the morning I ask myself you know will I come home today and when I go to bed at night I say will I wake up in the morning and I find that brings an incredible amount of presence to the things that I do. Um, but I often think, you know, what would it be like for my son to grow up without a dad? Mm. And if that were to happen, and I had the opportunity to give him a message at the age of eight, on his 18th birthday, or on his 25th birthday, what that would be. And I'm feeling very blessed because I'm... Uh, 
documenting my life a lot right now. A lot of, I've got a video guy that follows me everything I, everywhere I go and everything I do. So I feel like I'm, if that were to happen, I'd better give him something. But if there was a message that you would love to give Tor on his 18th birthday, if you just by chance weren't here, what would it be? Um, I think it would just be to live by your values and to know how much you are loved and are still loved and how the universe backs you and it's always rooting for you and to never be scared. I think that's probably, yeah, the biggest, I guess, things that I'd like to tell him and just that, you know, yeah, he's just, he's surrounded by so much love that nothing that he he does can ever be wrong i'm of a very strong belief that every organism on this planet has a purpose you know whether it be a worm or a fruit fly you know a bird or a bee um i think humans are kind of different whereby our purpose isn't defined by our biology yeah uh, you know i think our purpose is often defined by something bigger something greater um, and often things, you know, oftentimes it's not until challenge presents itself that we even uncover, you know, our reason for being here in the first place. I'm curious to know from you, with, from this experience, I know you've learned a lot more about yourself, but are you now more aware of why you're here? And if so, do you know what your purpose is? So much more aware. Um, it's funny because although I love my career, I've always have, there's always been a part of me that constantly asks that question what's my purpose because I knew that this was not my purpose Mm. I knew that I was you know having a fulfilling life and that if you know it got to the point where it all ended I would I guess be content but I would have always felt like I'd never achieved that that purpose and I answered that question and then but I guess in my mind as well I always thought that it would appear at some point in my life and I didn't know where it was going to come from or how but I I, I knew that it had something to do with charity um, I thought it would be around animals because I love animals and it's definitely a very big part of my life um, you know working with animal welfare groups and donating to you know animal charities and things like that but um, I guess for me having this disease which is fairly rare and being in the position that I am in the media has given me the ability I guess to make people more aware of it and to generate I guess more awareness um, more publicity and then hopefully um, more funds towards research into blood cancers um, than someone else who might have been diagnosed with CML um and I think that that's something that I have to, I guess, utilise and take advantage of and build on because after I, I shared my story, so many people who have CML came out and said I didn't feel as alone as I did before wow. knowing that there was someone out there who was willing to share their story to so many people um, and explain to you know, the greater community what CML was and why we don't lose our hair when we take our treatment and why we're a bit different from you know someone who say might have breast cancer and the the psychological and emotional um, issues that 
that come with having CML. So I think that's that's my purpose now. And I think just being able to, I don't know, bring light into someone else's life, even if it's just one person, that has already made me feel like I've done something good in the world, mm. like I'm leaving the world, whether it's now or in 50 years, a little bit better yeah. than when I came in. Because it's kind of interesting, like it's almost like your story has changed. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you've been a writer for a long time. How long mm. have you been a writer for? 10 years. So you've been sharing messages of, of, and has it always been in fashion? Uh, no, entertainment, fashion. Okay. So entertainment, mainly. fashion, you've been communicating those messages to the world and, and, and it's it's almost like you're now still communicating, but it's just now a different message. Exactly. Yeah. It's so true. And yeah, I guess communication has always been part of my destiny. Mm. At the time, I didn't realize why, but now it's now all starting to it. fall into place. The divine order is present. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. And it does renew your faith that things happen for a reason and just to be open to what the universe throws at you. I love it. What was your biggest fear before your diagnosis and finding out you were pregnant? Probably being fired from my job. What's your biggest fear now? Losing my son. Mm. I think every parent can, can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're creating quite a legacy. Um, whether I guess whether you're aware of it or not. I'm just curious to know, though, how you would like to be remembered. Yeah, that's... Um that's interesting. And again, whether this, and let's put the intent out there, whether it be in 50 years from now or 500 years from now when you pass with the evolution and the innovations of technology, you know, what would you like people to remember you for? Well, when, when I was first diagnosed, one of the things that crossed my mind was planning my funeral. And then I, I thought about the eulogy and, you know, thinking about what someone would say on that lectern before everything happened I thought I don't know if that's how I want to be remembered I don't want to be remembered as a workaholic you know who missed weddings and birthdays and things like that which is what I did before you know when I was growing up and trying to climb the corporate ladder and so I guess that's the one thing that I often think about for myself is you know how how would you like to be remembered what would you like someone close to you to say eulogy and I'd like to be remembered as someone who, I guess, you know, was brave and made other people's lives better, um, you know, through charity work or just being a good friend, being a good mother. And I think that's the fundamental thing in life is just to be, be good to each other and love each other and make other people's lives better other you know animals lives better that that's probably how i'd like to be remembered has your concept of love changed in this process it's bigger and i don't know there's just no boundaries to it now um it's unconditional so much more unconditional i mean you throw that word around but no, now but that's the beauty it really of it like because and again i want to explore that with you because a lot of people use the word the term unconditional love but it's not not until we get put in a situation where we really get the opportunity to experience it that we understand what it means. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know from your perspective, though, like what does unconditional love, apart from there are no conditions attached, like from a from a, from a practical perspective, like what is what does unconditional love do you mean now? Well, I think it's just you, you you don't put yourself first. You always put the ones you love first. 
um, you know, on certain levels, obviously, because I think self-love is very important. Definitely. Um, but just not having any boundaries. I mean, the sacrifices that you would make for someone that you love, you just do. I don't know. It's such a a big, big word, love, isn't it? You can't really kind it of is, put it in I, a little box. I think box. it's so misunderstood. You know, oftentimes we look at love, especially in the media, in this romantic notion, you know, and this fantasy of mm-hmm. and there's nothing but great. There's no bad. It's all good. And, and then, you know, we fall in love and we love everything about the person. And that, that the way that their nose whistles when they sleep is just adorable until six years later we want to smother them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things that I've learned, you know, is uh, when it comes to learning about love and the, un- the unconditional nature of its potential is realizing that there is a balance. You know, mm. realizing that there, for every good trait that we have, we have equal and opposite bad traits. Yeah. And, you know, learning how to see both in at the same time and still be embracing and loving you know that's that's a pretty it's it's not easy for some people to do yeah that's so true and i think you know love is a verb like it's a doing Doing word yeah you know you have to love it's not just a yeah just a term that you can just kind of throw around yeah and love takes a lot of work i think especially when you're in a relationship oh god yeah health works both ways too you need that mutual love for it to really really work so health um i can imagine it's become more of a focus for you Mm. has your perspective on what good health is and good the the routines that create good health changed yeah i think there's two trains of thought here for me one is to obviously nourish my body and and do whatever i can to make sure that it's healthy so i have a, a pretty pretty healthy diet now i um you know most of my food's organic most of my son's food is organic um you know where possible um i you know i do yoga i've cleaned out my entire you know toiletries and makeup cupboard of anything that you know contains nasty chemicals i i have a very simple beauty routine you know just a a nice face and body oil um natural shampoo and conditioner and you know a lot of things i just kind of repurpose into everything you know um, i use a lot of apple cider vinegar that's great i love that yeah you know i clean clean around the house with vinegar and probiotic um, sprays and things like that Um, but another thing as well that I I learned to do is not beat myself up about my dietary choices yeah right because I think the anxiety that I would previously put on myself if I you know didn't eat exactly perfectly or I had something that was a you know a little bit naughty like some chocolate or I don't know, like a bit of takeaway, I'd beat myself up. And I think that stress can be such a big part of your health. Mm. So now I don't think about it too much. I live and eat simply. Um, But if I do, you know, enjoy some party food at a friend's birthday, have a bit of cake, I don't think about it. I just do it and I enjoy it. Mm. I really enjoy that piece of cake. And then that's it. You know, I don't think about it anymore. I don't kind of think, oh, you shouldn't have had that cake. You're going to get fat. You're going to get sick. Because I think the stress and the anxiety around that is probably worse for your health than eating oh, a bloody cake in the first place. A hundred percent. So I think it's a, a, a lot about balance and just eating what you enjoy, but also knowing that if you have it occasionally, the joy is a lot more potent. 
that's that's my philosophy on food now. I love it. What um, what is your message for other people who are going through similar challenges? Um, don't feel alone because you're not. There's going to be someone out there who's been in a similar situation, and it's just a matter of reaching out. You know, thank goodness today we're so connected mm. um, that it's not hard to reach out. And people who have been through something similar most of the time they're more than happy to share their experiences if they know that it's going to help somebody else um so i think that that's that's a big part and also that i guess you know whatever happens learn from it find the beauty in it find the lessons in it and don't look at it as i guess a curse or anything like that try try and see the gifts that you've been given and how you can use it to to better your life or better someone else's life because of it beautiful and last but not least what does the future hold for l <laughs> where to from here i don't know i really want to continue to to inspire others just to you know to live their best life and know that you know they can get through adversity um you know if they if they really want to and and have the the strength and the energy to um I want to yeah continue to do more speaking um and just yeah enrich the the lives of others but also enrich my own and Mm. and just enjoy being a mum and and the second chance at life I guess that's beautiful and for those who would like to connect with you or find out more about what you do, like you, you run your own blog now, is that right? Or? Um, I'm on Instagram, but I also have a website, lhalliwell.com, right. with a little bit more information on me. But yeah, I generally do my, most of my stuff through Instagram, so it's okay. lhalliwell. lhalliwell on Instagram. L, I can't thank you enough. Um, the moment Lou told me about you and your story, it hit me right where it hurts um, in the most amazing way. And the preparation for this interview was required me to do a little bit of soul searching, you know, which was <laughs> yeah. really enjoyable. But I want to I want to thank you for your time. I also want to thank you for your courage, and I just want to thank you for showing up as a really authentic version of who you are. Because you know, if there's one thing I've got from this interview, is the power of vulnerability and the power of authenticity. You know, it has the power to to change lives. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Fantastic. Can I come Thank back you. again? Yeah. Tomorrow? <laughs> maybe not tomorrow, but yeah, next week maybe. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Elle. Thanks so much. Cheers. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.